0: Alrighty, folks. I I just want to dive in and talk a little bit about uh, how I got into podcasting. This is a question I get asked quite a bit. And what's funny is is that things have changed a little bit in the podcasting world since I got into podcasting. And so I just want to disclaim that up front. Some things are the same. Some things are different. So I'm just going to talk through it and kind of give you an idea of um, what I did and then talk a little bit more about what I would do different if I was starting now, right? Because ultimately, I don't want to just tell the story. I want to actually give you like real content that actually makes a difference. So anyway, welcome to the podcast. This is another one of those extra episodes that I'm putting out there. So yeah, and and it's basically going to be how to start a podcast slash how I started a podcast. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract was paid 60 bucks an hour due to feedback from my friends. I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract and due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire, they're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. So anyway, now I need to back up quite a ways. I got into programming. Let's see. I mean, how far back do I go? I started programming Pascal in like eighth grade. My grandfather actually had a big influence on that. He was an electrical slash uh, chemical engineer. He he had a Ph.D. in chemical engineering. Uh, Actually worked on the space shuttle. That's a story I had to tell. Um, But anyway, he when when I knew him, he had already retired. He worked for Rockwell International in California. Um, That's where my mom mom grew up. She grew up in uh, uh, Ventura County. Anyway, she came out to Brigham Young University. I met my dad there. And my grandparents moved out to Utah while my dad was going to dental school. And so when my parents, when my dad finished dental school, we moved back to Utah. Um, I was born here in Utah before they went to dental school. Uh, My my brother and I were my sister and my other brother were born in um, Atlanta uh, because he went he went to Emory University for dental school. And then um, we came back. Right. And then the six other brothers and sisters that I have were all born here in Utah. So and if you did the math, that's 10 kids. Um, So, yeah. So by the time I knew my grandpa, he was he was retired. He was here. He was kind of, you know, fiddling with stuff. He had an old Radio Shack computer that he fiddled around on, right? My grandmother was also retired. She taught French and Spanish in the school district out there. Um, funny enough, he worked for Rockwell International. She worked for the school district out there. And her, my understanding is her retirement package was better than his. Anyway, um, but he was always fiddling with stuff. He was soldering stuff. And um, so I was always interested in technology, always. In junior high school, I got into Pascal programming a little bit. Um, It was part of a math program. I was part of kind of an advanced math thing, Um, actually participated in math counts. In fact, I can actually look up and see the trophies that I got in junior high school from participating in that that, um, the team I was on for the school I was in, we went to state. Uh, We took second in state. I've got trophies from regionals. You get the idea, right? So I've always been a nerd, <clears throat> and um yeah, so that's always kind of been a thing in high school. I got much more into the electronic side of thing uh, electronic side of things, and so i uh <clears throat> I wound up when I went to college declaring my major as electrical engineering because I thought that was where I wanted to go, and I took a whole bunch of classes there, and then um toward the end of my time there, I got much more interested in computer and computer related design. And so I changed my major, major to computer engineering and wound up taking a whole bunch of classes. So, you know, we did like paging algorithms and operating system design and AI stuff. I mean, not not like we do now, but, uh, you know, I did take an AI, AI class. You kind of get, kind of get the idea as far as what I was doing there. And so I kind of picked up coding quite a bit more there, but I had done some in high school and some in junior high. And at the same time, I'd always, I remember sitting on the stairs in the house we lived in when I was in like third grade and actually recording my voice into a tape recorder and kind of doing kind of my own little DJ thing, right? So that was always another thing, right? Um, I would listen to the radio and I would envision myself being a DJ, Right. And so um, when this all kind of came about, and they're tied together, my programming career and my podcasting career are very closely tied together. So I was going to BYU, uh, studying computer engineering, um, and I got a job about six months before I graduated at a company called Mosey. Uh, They did online backup. They're still around. Uh, They're now Mosey by Carbonite, which is funny because Carbonite was kind of the dirty word around the office because they were the big competitor at the time. And anyway, I, I was like the number two support guy. I was like employee number 10 at the company. I worked there for a while, kind of got the QA effort going there. And then they hired a QA consultant to come in named Kay. And she's awesome. And then they hired another guy and he came in, Don, and it was Kay and Don doing QA for a while. And I was still running this, the support department, the guy that hired me. Um, or was instrumental in, you know, bringing me in and training me and all that stuff. He moved into some other projects in the company. And so I basically set up and ran the support department. You know, we we started setting it up together. And then after he left, I continued that. At the same time, I got into Ruby on Rails. And that's where things kind of changed for me. Like before that, I'd taken the programming classes. And that was all just a means to an end to get, you know, a cush engineering job somewhere at some big company. But once I got the job at Mosey and I started doing the software development, I really loved it. I really, really, really loved it. And at the same time, um, the company got acquired and there was some political wrangling that went on, right? And I'm not going to go into all of it drama, okay? Um, So I went to my boss and I said, um, because they moved me out of kind of the management role and basically said, you're going to do tech support for support. Because I'd been there long enough to where I, I knew how all of the systems kind of played together. And the only other person in the company that really understood that was the guy that had trained me and he was off doing other projects, right? His name's Tom. And so Tom was doing other projects. And so uh, the, the rest of everybody else could handle most of the routine stuff. And then some of the more experienced folks could handle some of the tougher stuff. And then they tended to have some more expertise in some areas than others, right? So some would understand the web interface better. Some would understand more of the backend issues better. Some would understand more of the, the client issues better, right? But I had been one of two support guys for three, four, five months. I don't remember exactly when it was that we brought the next person in. And so I had had to understand the whole system front to back. And the development team was also specialized, right? Because there were guys that worked on the backend. There were guys that worked on the client. There were guys, right? There were guys that worked on the web interface, and they understood the other pieces to the extent that they had to integrate with them. But that was it. So, um, anyway, that was kind of the position I was put in. But I, I had wanted to be on the management track, and they basically derailed that. And so, if I wasn't going to be on the management track, which is kind of what I felt like I was supposed to do, and if you ever feel like there's something that you're quote unquote supposed to do. Sit down and really think about whether or not that's you um, feeling some kind of obligation to do it, or whether that's really where you want to go. Because if I had done everything that I had felt like I had was supposed to do my whole life, um, I don't think I'd be happy. And I'm just going to throw that out there. I mean, there are definitely uh, true principles that I have adhered to my whole life that I feel like I'm supposed to adhere to, that have made me happy, but in a lot of these cases, especially within my career, I have colored way outside the lines and it has been a tremendous blessing for me. So anyway, I am yeah, I'm, I keep rambling off a field, but I want to give you enough context to understand the podcasting piece of this. So I went to my boss and I basically, and, and this is where they kind of pushed me aside was where I went, I went to my boss and, you know, math nerd, right? I went in and I basically graphed out our uh, workload over the last six months. And I went into my boss and I said, look, this is what we call an exponential curve, right? I mean, I was I was very respectful to him, but I mean, the, the gist was, this is an exponential curve. And if you want to keep up on the support load, I'm going to need to hire basically double my team. And I need to do it now so that they will be trained by the time we hit this load, right? And we're going to have to continue to do that unless we can solve some of these fundamental problems, right? So we've got to start QAing some of these issues. And solving them, or this is going to be untenable. And he looked at me because I had basically asked him for a crap ton more money. And he, I don't know what the politics that he was dealing with were. I really don't. And, but he basically told me that there was no way. There was just absolutely no way. And so um, the next week was the week where I got moved out of that director position, and somebody else was the guy that had been working under me as my kind of assistant director, he got put in there and I basically was pushed into a technical role supporting them, which wasn't where I wanted to be at all. And so, because basically I just got all the hard calls was, was what it was. So I was like tier three support. And so I went back to him and I said, you know, I really want to be a programmer anyway. And he said, well, I don't have the clout to move you to the development team because the development team, in that company. The, so just to back up, the CEO and founder was a tech guy. And so the programmers really had a lot of pull. And they only hired the top end people that they could find. And that wasn't me, right? Because I had studied all this other stuff. Most of my actual practical experience was actually in running data center networking and server systems, not in the kind of programming that I was looking at doing. And they didn't need another ops guy. And they would have had to do a a ton of training to get me to the point where I understood their systems well enough to do what was needed. So that was a non-starter. And he just looked at me and he said, I don't have enough clout to put you on the dev team, right? It would have solved a lot of problems for him, right? Because I basically would have been fat, dumb, and happy. And I would have quit bothering him about some of the problems that I was seeing. The other issue was, was that people would come to me with issues that I could solve. And he felt like some of that was an end run around him, right? Because I would just inform him later about some of these issues that got solved. And he wanted to be informed in a different way, but was never clear about what that was. So anyway, I was just kind of in this weird spot. And so I looked at him and I said, I don't want to be a programmer. And he told me no. And so he moved me into QA with Dawn, okay? Because Kay had moved on. She was a consultant. She was just there to kind of get the ball rolling with QA. And so, um, so I moved into QA and later when I talked to Kay, she actually told me that she was hoping that I'd be the person that moved into QA. So I moved into QA, uh, you know, no raise, no nothing, which turned out to be an issue later. But I, when I moved into QA, you know, I started working with Don on this stuff. And, um, I mean, it was, it was fun, right? I got to go and try out these systems and I, I got to find all the bugs in all the systems. And, you know, I felt like I was making a difference because I was on the other end of things now where I could actually point out some of these issues that were coming through the system. And I was hoping that I could head off that exponential curve that I had pointed out to my boss. And I'm deliberately not using his name because I'm not sure how much of this is my own perception and how much of it is fair. I really think he could have handled things better, but I don't know what pressures he was under from his boss. So I'm I'm not gonna, anyway. So anyway, so we're sitting there and we're doing QA and they decide they're going to launch a Mac client. And so I wind up with a Mac mini on my desk and I'm working pretty closely with a Mac developer. I think his name was Dan. And uh, I'm working pretty closely with the support guy who used to work for me. He was kind of a dork. So anyway, um, so I'm working pretty closely with Dan and I've got this Mac mini sitting on my desk and I'm testing the crap out of this Mac client that's, you know, backing up to the same systems that the Windows client did. And reporting all the issues back to Dan. And at the same time, I'm testing all the backend systems and all of the web systems. And I was pretty good at it. And I found a ton of bugs. And it was to the point, actually, to where we held up the release for like three months uh, of a new client. And I had done that before, actually. And the CEO finally just went and pushed one of the developers out of his chair. I mean, you know, not onto the floor, but he, you know, we made him get up and move. And then he sat down and he personally deployed the code, basically saying, I'm taking responsibility for this. We need the bug fixes that are in the current version to go out, even though we know that these other issues are there, right? When I was running support and doing QA at the same time uh, before Kay showed up. So anyway, I held it up for like three months. I think my boss, I almost said his name. My boss was getting a ton of pressure from above, right? To to get this release out because it had a bunch of new features. And um, I was also kind of doing a bit of work with GE, General Electric, who uh, was actually their first big enterprise client. You know, I I was still doing some support with them because they just needed me there. And um, anyway, so they finally released that. While I'm working there, um, Don... And so Don, he worked, he lived up in Ogden or around Ogden, Utah, Um, and the office was in Pleasant Grove, Utah. And I know that some of the listeners are not in Utah or not in the U.S., so miles doesn't mean as much to you. Uh, Suffice it to say that you have to drive through Salt Lake City in order to get from Ogden to Pleasant Grove. And it was a good hour and a half, two hour drive one way, especially during rush hour traffic. And so, what what he would do since when he left it, at night, because we were working with a team in India, and so if if we had a meeting late, he wouldn't be getting home till like ten p.m., and then you would have to be up and you know at the crack of dawn the next morning to get to work. And so he actually rented an apartment down here, but he he wound up getting an iPod uh, to make the commute. And so he would listen to podcasts on his way to work when he'd drive down on Monday, and then he would, you know, hop on and, you know, drive back up on Thursday or Friday, you know, depending on how work went. So anyway, he'd listen to podcasts while he was at work too. And so I'd be working and he'd be sitting in the other corner, snickering or laughing. Sometimes he would just, you know, belly laugh at something that he heard on the podcast. And after like the fourth time, right? Because I had no idea what he was listening to. After like the fourth time I turned around, I'm like, what are you laughing at, man? And he turns around and he's like, he's like, you have to hear this, right? And so he, you know, he holds the headphones up so I can hear whatever the podcaster he was listening to had said. And he was way into like Grammar Girl. And uh, there was a fitness guy, Ben Greenlee, that was also in the Grammar Girl Network. I can't remember the name of his show. There were a handful of other shows, right? Out there. And so, you know, he's like, you know, I'm like, oh, man, that is so cool. I wish, right? I wish I could listen to podcasts, but I can't afford an iPod, right? That was the thing, you know, back in 2007. And so I'm like, all right, well, if I want to listen to podcasts, I guess I got to save up. And he goes, no, 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 you don't. And uh, he's like, you see that Mac on your desk? It has iTunes on it. And so all you have to do is get the podcast on, on the Mac. And so I just bought a cheap set of headphones and I'd listen to podcasts on the Mac. So it turned out that moving into QA and then, um, you know, working with Don turned out to be a big blessing as far as getting into podcasts. So I start listening to podcasts. And, of course, I'm really into Ruby on Rails. So I start looking around to see if there are Ruby and Ruby on Rails podcasts. And there were two of them at the time. There was Rails Envy. And Rails Envy was put on by Greg Pollock and Jason Cipher. And uh, Jason has since passed away. I think he passed away in a boating accident. Um, both him and Greg were from Orlando. I think, I think Greg still lives in Orlando. Anyway, so they would get on and they would just do like five or 10 minutes of news from the Ruby community every, every week or every couple times a week. And they had a bunch of YouTube videos and, and stuff like that. And, you know, they wound up starting a consulting company and a whole bunch of other stuff, right? And I think Greg eventually wound up moving on. They renamed it to the Ruby Show and Peter Cooper from like Ruby Weekly, JavaScript Weekly, uh, React Status. They've got a whole bunch of them. He, he's, he did the show with Peter for a while. I think Dan Benjamin was involved in it at some point. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, lots of stuff. And then the other show was Jeffrey Grossenbach doing the Ruby on Rails podcast. And, you know, he he mostly interviews, if I remember correctly. So I start listening to these shows and I'm just like, this is so fun, Right. And and I'd find other eclectic stuff that I was into, right? And so, and I don't even remember, you know, I, I listened to Rick Steves for a while because he had a radio show that he just released as a podcast. And I, I mean it was cool, right? Because I've always loved travel. I listened to a bunch of other podcasts, I just got way into it. And I started thinking, you know, it would be fun to start a podcast. It'd be really fun. And at this time I kind of thought of the podcasters in the same way that I thought of other uh sort of TV personalities and so i thought of them as kind of these celebrities right and it never occurred to me that hey there are probably you know tens of thousands of ruby developers in the whole world right now maybe hundreds of thousands you know if we're getting really ambitious for 20 or 2007 right and so greg and jason and jeffrey and dan dan benjamin they're big fish in a small pond right and when they walk out the door and they go to Walmart, they're not exactly getting mobbed as this big name celebrity, right? Because nobody knows who they are until they go to RubyConf or RailsConf, right? And so I'm like, hmm, I'm going to email Greg. And, he, you know, he's probably busy with his fandom. And so I'm going to, you know, hey, Greg, I think it'd be fun to start a podcast. And I didn't expect to hear back from him. I thought he was a celebrity. I legitimately thought that he was famous and that, <laughs> that he would never get back to me. I get this email back the next day. Oh, you should totally start a podcast. You know, that'd be awesome. Now you have to realize that my professional programming experience where I was actually paid as part of my job description to write Ruby on Rails was zero. Zero. I was paid to test software. And before that, I was paid to run a tech support team And as part of that, I had gotten into Ruby on Rails because the company wouldn't pay for the tool we need. And so Tom and I started building it. And after Tom moved on to the other projects, I kept working on it, right? That was the sum total of my Ruby on Rails experience. And the rest of my programming experience had primarily been done at the university, either in my job working in the data center where I wrote a whole bunch of bash scripts to manage a whole bunch of stuff, Right on the different servers. Hey, go connect to this and get this. Or hey, copy this over there and then run the script. Right. I mean, you know that that, that was kind of my thing over there. Or writing code for my classes. I mean, that, that was it. That that was my experience. Right. I did some crazy stuff in high school. We won't get into that. But anyway, yeah. So you know, I didn't have any experience, and I told him that I was like, look, I'm a total noob. I I have zero experience. Right. And He's like, well, that's fine. You know, you should still start a podcast. And in a lot of ways, I really agree with him, right? In in the sense that everybody has something interesting to say and that your experience is going to be different from my experience. It's going to be different from his experience. It's going to be different from somebody else's experience, right? Now, if it's going to stress you out to do it, if it's going to be, you know, an undue burden, you know, don't do it, don't do it, right? But, you know, if if it sounds like fun and you want to give it a shot, give it a shot. Right. And that, that was essentially where I was at. Now, if you have some career goal that could be um, pushed forward by having more exposure, then you should definitely start a podcast. And and that's what the Dev Heroes Accelerator is about. Right. So if you go to devchat.tv slash hero, you can actually just fill in some information and that really just helps me know whether or not you're, a good fit for me to be able to help you out and I'll try and help you anyway, but yeah, anyway, it just gives me a good idea of where you're at and you know, whether or not some of the materials I've put together will help you where you're at. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas, 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. I'm like, well, I want to start a podcast, but I really don't want to duplicate yours, right? Because we didn't need two people going out there and talking about the same news stories in the Ruby on Rails community, right? Unless I had a different take, and by that I mean uh, like a materially distant different take on the news in the Ruby on Rails community, and I didn't feel like we did because he was covering the stuff that I wanted wanted to make sure people had and heard you know and he's like oh we'll just go interview people well interview people i can can do that i was like well will that work and he's like oh yeah yeah just go ask and i was like okay do you want (laughs) will you come on my podcast i mean that was it right and in the middle of that my friend eric Berry had started uh teach me to code screencast series and he was doing videos on how to do things in Ruby on Rails, and so he had you know he had videos on all kinds of stuff. Here's how you do this in Ruby on Rails. That do Ruby on Rails. Had a series on how to build a Twitter clone Ruby on Rails. I talked about that last week um, with how I got a bazillion freelance clients off of that, right? Because my name was on the website, even though his name was on the videos, and so they figured if the videos were on my website, then I must know how to do it. So I made a video for for, uh, Eric. And when I made the video for Eric, the kind of conventional wisdom was that you either used a program called ScreenFlow because I had a Mac. You either use a program called ScreenFlow or you used a program called I show you the reason that I was using where I got the Mac from is another story. But yeah, so I, I picked ScreenFlow and I recorded the video and I, you know, I was a little self-conscious. And so when I posted the video when I gave it to Eric so he could post it. Um, and then I posted it to Twitter. I also posted, hey, I did this on a free trial of ScreenFlow, right? So it didn't have the watermark at the time. I think you were just limited on the length of the video you could make. And, you know, and so I just kind of made it work. And then I also pointed out that I didn't have a good mic. Right. And so I was like, hey, I don't have a good mic. Blah, 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 blah. And uh I think they were called TechSmith at the time. It's Telestream now that makes ScreenFlow. I get this email from somebody from from the company that makes ScreenFlow, and they go, "Oh, hey, send us your your mailing address, and we'll mail you a good mic, and here's a license to ScreenFlow." You know, because I'm I'm this poor, pro, you know, new programmer in my first um, first or second programming job, right, and yeah, anyway. So um I get I get this uh this program and you know a new mic and so that's what I used when I interviewed Greg. And then um I went to my first RubyConf or yeah, Mountain West Ruby Conference. And so the first episodes with Greg, I think the sep- second episode was me going I um um uh learned this um thing um about um Rails. Uh, right. And so I just talked through something that I learned on my own. And then the third episode was with James Edward Gray, who, uh, he and I started Ruby Rogues, which kind of got the whole dev chat thing started, which wasn't the plan at the time at all. I mean, we were talking about just having some place where we could get on and talk every week about Ruby. Um, but it turned into dev chat.tv. Eventually, I should talk about where that all came from, too, but it was just interesting because it opened up all these doors, right. We got invited to conferences, I mean, even just me as a just a one-off guy, right? I got invited to um what was it Apachecon in 2010 I want to say in Vancouver. And I just emailed the conference and I was like, Hey, I, I think I applied for a press pass and they gave me a press pass and a hotel room. And so I just had to find my way up there. And so I, you know, I talked my wife into letting me spend a couple hundred dollars to fly up, but yeah, you know, and that was just me. And so I met a whole bunch of people up there. They actually lined me up with the heads of a whole bunch of the Apache projects, right? Cause they were all at the conference too. And so I did interviews with a whole bunch of them. Those are all still online. I wound up going to RailsConf. I think my employer at the time paid for that. I don't think that came out of the the podcast, though that job did, right? And I think I've talked about that before, where I got laid off and six hours later, I had a job to go to the next day. They paid for me to go to RailsConf. And I was walking through the, the floor for the keynote. And, you know, I love meeting my heroes. Uh, you know people who have done extraordinary things, and it's interesting too because people kind of have this idea that your heroes have to be somehow perfect, right? They have to align with everything that you agree with. Um, I think that's the basis for some of the uh, disappointment that people have in in public figures, right? It's like, oh well, you know, I loved their technical books and it helped shape my career, and I watched a whole bunch of their videos, but it turns out that they're uh, you know, fill in the blank, blank, Democrat, Republican, or, you know, they they said this mean thing once, you know, and it's like, you know, it's like, look, they did this ad, admirable thing, right? They did this thing that was hard, right? And so I admire the heck out of them for that. And yeah, you know, I don't necessarily give them a pass on the other stuff, but at the end of the day, I can be inspired by the parts of them that I find inspiring. So anyway, uh, and DHH is a little rough around the edges. He just is. And so I was walking down, you know, the, the middle aisle. And he was sitting there and he was chatting with somebody to his left. And there was an empty aisle seat. And I don't know if he was saving it for somebody. Or if he just assumed that, you know, nobody had the gumption to sit down next to him. But I, you know. You know that feeling like that clenching at the top of your stomach that you get when you're sitting there going, This is really scary. And to be honest, I am much more confident now than I was then, but I was just, I was terrified, you know? And to be honest, it's funny because DHH isn't that much older than I am. We're, we were both born the same year. I was born in December, and I think he was born in like July, but anyway, you know, so, you know, and I just, before I could think too much about it, because if I did, I would have just frozen. I would have just stood there in the middle of the floor staring at him like, you know, (laughs) you can imagine this, right? You know, this, this, uh, 20 something year old guy, right, just in there. Anyway. So, uh, and yeah, honestly, I had never been more terrified of meeting somebody in my life. And instead I just, Walked up and sat down, and I'm sure he saw right through my playing it cool, right? Because there's just no way. There's no way that you couldn't see in my eyes that I was absolutely terrified. But I also think that the last thing he expected me to say was, "Hey, will you come on my podcast?" And the other thing you also have to keep in mind was is that this was back in like 2009, 2008, 2009. Um, back then, there were only a handful of people that knew who he was that would have wanted him to come on the show to talk about rails. Right. And so it was an opportunity for him that didn't come up all that often. And so it worked out. I'm sure he's a little harder to land now. I, I think now is a good time because he's actually out promoting Hotwire, Right. And so you'd reach out and get him on to talk about JavaScript, but at the time, yeah, I just sat down. Hey, you want to come on a podcast? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Well, how do I get a hold of you? He gave me his email address. Um, I emailed him right then and right there, right? Because I had my laptop with me. I just whipped it out, got on the Wi-Fi and just sent him an email, uh, confirmed that he got it, and then watched the keynote sitting next to DHH. And, you know, that that's kind of the way that went. But, you know, that that's, that's more or less how I got into podcasting is, I mean, it was just kind of a series of events that kind of pushed me into a place where, you know, I, I just went for it. And you know, yeah, there are a lot more podcasts out there now, but I also feel like podcasting is still young. And the other thing is, is that um as many more podcasts as there are out there now, the space is hardly saturated. Um, the other thing is is that there are podcasts that are starting and dying all the time, right? Um, it's not an easy thing to keep going, especially for people that are running as many as as we are at devchat.tv. And so if you're looking to start a podcast and you think it's something that will help you get where you want to go in your career, and you're more toward the senior level in your career, then that's who I'm looking to help with the Dev Heroes Accelerator. And so if you go to devchat.tv slash hero, I can help you with that. If you're If not, then what I recommend is that you spend a little bit more time figuring out what you want to talk about, like what you want your voice to be, right? And that that was something that I kind of had to settle on, right? Initially, it was just I'm interviewing people. But after a while, it was, okay, what do I want to cover? Who do I want to talk to? What kinds of things do we want to do? I mean, that that, that became much more clear with Ruby Rogues and JavaScript Jabber and Freelancer Show, right? Was, you know, what kinds of outcomes are we trying to get for people? And, um, you know, that that made a major difference with... Rails coach and teach me to code, it was much more about my journey, but with Ruby Rogues and JavaScript Jabber, it became much more about everybody else's journey. And, and so that that's also part of that journey. And and I'll talk about that another time, you know, as far as um, how that works. But at the end of the day, it was really an interesting opportunity to grow by associating with people who had the knowledge and experience that could help me move up and move along with my, with the podcasts. And yeah, we talked to all kinds of people. Interviewed Tom Preston Werner uh, from GitHub back when they had like just started GitHub and it was just starting to take off, like before he and uh, Chris owned half of Microsoft. Um, You know, it it was, it was a wild ride. It was so fun. Um, so if you're getting in on the ground floor of any of these technologies, I mean, it is a terrific time to be there and, uh, yeah, I can't recommend it highly enough, but yeah, it, I, I guess what I'm driving at is, is that the podcast opened up a a whole bunch of opportunities for me and it, I got in early enough to where I could, I could kind of founder around a little bit and figure out what it took and what I was doing. And I found enough mentorship from people who were either experts in podcasting like Cliff Ravenscraft and Dave Jackson, um, who you don't know because they're not in the programming community. They're in the podcasting community. They're still in the podcasting community. And then I could get the technical, the technical help from people like Nate Hopkins and David Brady. And, you know, I could interview people like DHH and Greg Pollock and, you know, and, and get help from Greg, you know, on the media side and on the technical side and all of the things that are going on there so anyway i just you know if, if you're looking for the opportunity to grow a podcast really isn't a bad way to go but um if if i were to do it again if i were that newish developer that had a year or less experience and i decided that i wanted to start a podcast to grow i guess the thing that i would really do differently is i would start to think about where i wanted to end up And that's really hard when you're a junior developer because you generally don't know exactly what you're looking at as far as where you can go and where some of the landmines are, right? So you kind of have to step in it and go, "Ugh, I don't want a boss like that. Or, oh, that's a really terrible development practice. Or, oh, you know, that really is, is not great. But at the same time, you can interview developers who are senior to you. And if you're early enough, I guess that's kind of everybody. And you can get them to give you career advice so that you can avoid those pitfalls, right? Um, and I think Saranya Bark did a lot of that with CodeNewbie. But you, you kind of get the idea. So then you can kind of move along and you can get mentorship through your podcast. And, and that worked out for me really, really well. And the real poignant example of that was Ruby Rogues. Once we got that going, I mean, everybody kind of brought their own level of expertise. But the real value that I brought to the table, to be perfectly honest, was I was the guy that executed every week to get the podcast out. I mean, I, I had the technical chops. I participated in the conversations. And a lot of times I asked the questions that were just kind of a level or two below everybody else. And so I did have that newer developer perspective sometimes. And then that was important. But I was the guy that made the trains run on time. I was the guy that got it out every week. you know. And eventually I hired somebody and then she got it out every week. But that was the deal that that was that was my contribution in a lot of ways to the podcast initially. And then those guys mentored me as well. So anyway, that I mean, that's the story. That's how it happened. Hey, folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams, or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there. And so we're gonna go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit, and you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. So, you know, people aren't getting into podcasting today by getting introduced to podcasting because it's this brand spanking new thing that nobody knows about. Nowadays, they're hearing about it and hearing about it and hearing about it, and then they get exposed to the one show that makes the difference for them. And what I'm hoping is that some of our shows might be some of those shows for some of these people, right? It's, hey, you keep saying you want to level up on JavaScript, you need to be listening to JavaScript Jabber. You keep saying you want to level up on Ruby, you need to be listening to Ruby Rogues. You keep saying you want to level up on Adventures in Angular, or on Angular, so you you need to be listening to Adventures in Angular, you know, or React Roundup, or Views on View, or Adventures in Machine Learning, you get the idea. And so that's what we're trying to do and then ultimately i want the people who listen to the show to be getting enough of the material so that when they've put in a year's worth of work on their career that they feel like they've made a year's worth of progress within their career and that's the goal that's the mission and so you know before like rails coach It was, it was my opportunity to talk about what I was learning and raise my profile. And it was my opportunity to talk to people who were senior to me and learn new things. And now it's my opportunity to put content out there for other people so that they can make that year's worth of progression. And I, I, I need to kind of refine my thoughts around that a little bit more before I really talk about what that journey looked like. but. Uh, I will tell you that it's important. And so nowadays, that's the other thing that I would do differently is I would really think about what the outcome is, right? Is it about my growth? But also what is the outcome that I want my audience to get, right? What tangible, measurable outcome do they get, right? And so, you know, what does that year's worth of progress look like for you, right? Is it $20,000 more a year, you know, in a raise? Is that progress? Is it, you know, I, you know, I contribute this much more to my team. Is it, you know, I have the commit bit on um, a major open source project. Is it, I am speaking at a higher profile conference. Is it I'm running a user's group? Is it I'm getting featured in the Ruby Weekly or JavaScript Weekly um, newsletter on a regular basis for my blog or my videos? I mean, what is it, right? And, uh, you know, are we helping you get there, right? Are we giving you the skills to get there? And if we are, great. And if we're not, then let us know what skills you need to get there, right? Because some of those skills are going to be technical skills, and that's what our technical shows are for. And some of those skills are going to be interpersonal skills, and I want to start uh, shows on those. And some of those skills are going to be content-provided skills. And that's what the Dev Heroes Accelerator is for. So anyway, you can go check all that out. Dev Heroes Accelerator, devchat.tv slash hero. Um and uh, yeah, if there's a particular like soft skills or leadership skills or, um, you know, some other skill that you're looking for, some programming language, let me know, because I am definitely working on bringing those up. One other thing that I just want to throw out there, and this is going to be my pick, I guess, this week, is we just started a new show. It's a partnership with this.labs. You can Find them at this.labs.com. And uh, it is called She's in Tech. And it is a women in tech podcast. And they are talking about, uh, it's basically a discussion on how awesome some of these women are in tech. And I love it. I love the idea. This is the show that I wanted to start. um, Because ultimately, I'm about building people up, celebrating success, and helping make a difference that way. I don't want to go tear people down. I don't want to go complain about things I can't change. And I feel like, you know, I want to go out there and actually talk about the things that are going to make a difference. And I think if we hold up role models and tell people, give people tips and the tools to go and make a positive difference, that that's what really makes the difference. And that's what these women on this show are just knocking it out of the park with. And they are tremendous. And so go check them out. She's in tech. You can find it on devchat.tv. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Have a good one.